You're listening to Paint the Town Podcast with your hosts. LA Street Art Gallery resident artist, teacher, and founder of LA Street Art Gallery, James Chen of Thank you for tuning in to the Paint the Town Podcast. I'm James. I'm Teacher. And we're here sitting here with today with Risky Forever. Um, I just want to give a little brief intro. Uh, I've known Risky for a little bit, but I wanted to bring him on the podcast to um, talk about, you know, recent projects that he had. But you may know him as the Man's guy. legendary. Yeah, a legend, seriously. You may know him. Uh, you may not know him yet, but you know his art. Uh, if you're familiar with Tupac, who I mentioned uh, in the last podcast, is my favorite rapper. Um, if you know the Machiavelli album, uh, we have the man who p- painted it right here. Hi, that Risky. is the artist. What up, what up, what up, what up? <laughs> Hi, Risky. That is the artist of the album cover, man. <laughs> so happy to have you here today, man. I mean, we had Joe Cool here who painted the Snoop Dogg Doggy Style cover. And, um, you know, he mentioned to me, he said, hey, I may not be a street artist, but I'm an artist from the street. And that makes me a street artist, <laughs> you know. So I thought that was real uh, eloquent way to put it. So Yeah, I f- my sentiments exact. I feel the same way he does. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, if we're talking, you know, street life, you know, it doesn't get any more street than Death Row Records. Am I right? <laughs> no, I mean, you can't get no more street than that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if you're not No, familiar, absolutely not. If you're not familiar with Death Row Records, I mean, we're talking Snoop Dogg, we're talking Dr. Dre, we're talking Tupac, uh, you, you know, Corrupt, the Dog Pound, Daz. I mean, all these guys are all on this record label. And... It was literally a legendary record label, and uh, it probably only, I mean, it had its peak for about eight years until uh, Tupac got killed, and then, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg had to go on trial, and then everything kind of went downhill, right, Risky? Well, I mean, that was kind of backwards, because Snoop Dogg went on trial first, and then he was acquitted, and then, you know, Pac ended up getting killed, and then after that, everything kind of, like, you know, abruptly changed. I like to think of it as, like, when Pac died, I like to think of Death Row as, like, sort of like the Titanic, you know what I mean? It was... It had the hole in it. It was filling up with water, but it wasn't completely sunk yet. You know what I mean? It was just stuff that happened after the fact that kind of like added more water to the situation and pushed it under. When this was going on, like what, what, what how old were you? When this was going on, Death Row, when I started working for Death Row, I was 24, I believe. Okay. 24. 24. And, 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 you know, Risky's not only, I mean, uh, you where, know, did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Compton. Okay, okay. So, see, that's what I'm talking about. I grew up in Compton, like four, maybe about four blocks from Suge Knight's mom's house. So, <laughs> so I mean, we're, we're talking about the Machiavelli cover. We're not just talking about Tupac. We're talking about a lot of the inner liner notes of the All Eyes on Me album. We're talking about the Nate Dog, the, the Nate Dog uh, cartoon. A bunch I mean, of this stuff. Yeah, the man. cover I mean, for Nate Dog's G Phone Classics. I mean, I did Daz's Retaliation, Revenge, and Get Back. He did the Electric Chair, man, right? No, actually, mm-hmm. that was my boy Hen Dog, rest in peace, oh, that bad, did the bad. original Hen Death Row logo. But I was responsible for the guy in the Electric Chair on the Death Row Greatest Hits album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That, that's what I was talking about. But yeah. as an influence as well. I mean, he influenced Joe Cool, right? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of. It's kind of backwards, but then it went forward. 
because when I saw Doggy Style, actually Joku inspired me to want to be a part of Death Row Records because I'm like looking like, yo, you know, they got actual cats that's coming in, you know, drawing their album covers. I got to be a part of that. That's yeah. cool. And then <laughs> after the Death Row situation, I end up talking to Jeff, to Joku, letting him know, like, look, bro, you know, I don't know if y'all familiar, but Joku is like, he's the nasty dog on Snoop Dogg's tours. You know, he does all of the dance and he does all of the artwork for Snoop Dogg. But I was trying to, you know, tell Joku, like, look, that's cool you doing all of that. I'm not knocking none of that. That's your hustle, that's your money, that's how you get down. But you're an artist too. So what you need to do is start solidifying yourself in this art world and start picking up the brushes and the paint brushes and the pencils and stuff and start putting shit down on canvas. And I kind of such good information right there. I kind of inspired him to, you know, you start that, yeah. to start painting. You know what I mean? And, you know, I feel like, you know, me and Joe Cool, we kind of like the last two of our kind because now Hen Dog has passed. It's not really any artist that I could really sit down with and say that they have accomplishments in the art game like I do other than Joe Cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, he mentioned, he said, he, he called it the last two remaining survivors, man. Yeah, actually, <laughs> you know? we are. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not knocking no other album, no other artist that goes out and does album covers, but I mean, like, how many of these artists out here that, do, that, that are doing album covers, how many of them can step up and say, look, I drew six platinum album covers. You feel me? <laughs> <laughs> like... If you literally, like, if you can't even come and tell me one, you don't even have no business trying to even come talk to me. And that's not on a cocky level. No, dude, dude that's reality. You know what I mean? That's, that's just that's what the, reality. That's what the art world comes down to is your accomplishments. Yeah, I mean, A lot of it. Exactly. You know what I mean? You know, it's a lot of people that even that i mean it's a lot of people that wish that they had the opportunity to know tupac you know what i mean that that you Me know they're still man. walking around here like you know to this day wishing they had that opportunity and i wanted the cast to say that i actually knew that dude you know what i mean i actually <clears throat> sat in the studio with this dude actually been at this dude's house i done been around with this guy now when you open up hip-hop history any of those books that are on hip hop history, when you open These those ones on the table right here, when you open those books up, and you look oh, at the man. you look at the history of hip hop history, my albums will be a definite reflection of that part of hip hop history. So I'm we're talking art history, man. I mean, this is the modern art Absolutely. history we're talking about. You, you know, I mean, before back in the day, when you have art history. Uh, only the rich people they can afford paintings and portraits of themselves you know it's kind of changed a little bit when we have cameras but i mean it's kind of like when you're painting an album man this is uh uh the uh the artist's kind of the first visual impression man so i kind of see it as very important in art history because you know music comes with art and then uh, all these ancient uh portraits we have are of famous people and this is exactly what you did man six platinum covers man we're looking at here at <coughs> uh the the cover of the machiavelli album man and y you know to be honest this was one of when i was a kid man there was no there was there was barely the internet you know we, we, i was on forums man talking to people saying hey what's going on with tupac like is he still alive do you know any information you know and yeah. i was a kid man i mean i looked at this album so much and there was just these little things um i want to pull right here interesting details, details about this, this. It, Real um, quick, yeah, I mean, just just first of all, like the background, background the the, the, the looks like, like a paper, paper bag. bag. Yeah, it was actually like a cardboard box. 
See, okay. before this album had the opportunity to drop, this album was supposed to have been like an underground album. It was never supposed to have went commercial. It only it only went commercial after Pac died, and Crazy. I guess you know Suge and Death Row Records felt like you know they had to put this album out because it was actually Pac's last work of music that he really had say so over. Like all of the albums that came out after Machiavelli, they were basically scraps of work that they just put together you know what i mean to put yeah. out collections know? yeah definitely and i mean so many of that so many of those songs you know were just changed around people were taken off this beat was changed this person was added you know what i mean that you really you really won't really get the full effect of those songs that he put out and i mean a lot of artists know that that's real and a lot of fans they complain about that when they come out yeah i mean you know i can't imagine just getting turned on to pox music now and going on YouTube you can't even find the original version of the song man <laughs> you no, know if, no, if you want to hear no. here's something like so many people have just taken Pac's uh, verses and just put them over different Change beats mixed them, them and mixed them, <laughs> mixed them with different rappers that you wouldn't have been cool with that you know what I mean and but the but the real fans the ones that you know what I mean really read credits they really understand that you know what I mean and they and they 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 go off about that you know one of the things that um I loved that uh, is on this album cover is that, you know, it has Tupac hanging on a cross and on the back of the cross, it has a lot of the neighborhoods in um, Los Angeles area. And actually, uh, these are the gang neighborhoods, <laughs> right? It's Compton, Inglewood, a lot of the lesser fortunate areas, right? Yeah, There's yeah. a map on there. Yeah. Um, you know, and the idea was that, uh, well, he had come up with this concept of him dying on the cross, even before he died, which is super creepy, if you think yeah, about it, exactly. you know, he had a music video, um, uh, I am mad at you, you, you mm -hmm. know, that he prophesized him dying and coming back as an angel talking to uh, his homies who were mourning him, basically, so, yeah. I mean, it's real creepy, kind of. That yeah, day. I was there at that shoot, and I mean, just to, you know, just to show up on the set of that shoot and to see what, what, what he was actually portraying in his art, you know what I mean? So far as like, you know, all of the artists that had been died and he had, that had died and he had the lookalikes, you know, there performing. The and, realist. And, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and he was there, you know what I mean? And ja Rule, right? I'm, I'm, I'm curious, mean, what, what mediums uh, did you use to, to, to create this? Acrylics and... Back in the day, I wasn't even using acrylics. Like I said earlier at lunch, man, people used to give me acrylics and I would just toss that shit in the trash because I wasn't like... <laughs> I wasn't up on like the paint brushing and doing all of that. I was strictly airbrushing, you know what I mean? So That's a skill in its own though, man. When I did the Machiavelli album, the Machiavelli album was like a, a lot of mixed mediums. I did it in airbrush and then I took a map. How big is the original? The original had to be like a, a 24 by 48. It was a real high type painting. Okay. So where's that, man? Like, Do you know where it's at, man? Right I actually sold it to a guy in Trinidad, man, like about five years ago. Oh, sick. You feel me? <laughs> Smart <laughs> man. That's just a great investment. No, yeah, really, yeah. it really wasn't. I mean, the only thing that I really can say was smart about it is that every piece of artwork that I sold, like from that death row era, I had them all digitized and put on disc. Yeah. So I could print something out so good that the guy that has the original would think that I sold him a fake. <laughs> I know, right? You know these I mean? days, these days so, with technology and everything, yeah, it's very possible. So I was able to do all of that, but that's good. That's, that's that, that was smart. smart. Yeah, that so was smart right there. Was getting all the images yeah, into so, a reproductive uh, format. Yeah. So back to the Machiavelli album, but I mean, I airbrushed it, 
you know, I, I took a map, I cut it out, I placed it, I painted on top of that. You know what I mean? I did, I did Such a lot a cool of, I did a lot of stuff to it. You know what I mean? In order for it to get that look. That's awesome. So, I love these. You know, on, on this album cover, another thing that I, uh, it's small details, man. And as a kid, honestly, you know, you're looking at the, we didn't have the internet to go along with the music a lot of times. So, I mean, <laughs> you can imagine me sitting on the floor, laying on the floor, man. Looking, like, actually looking, looking at the at, album looking cover. Looking at the album cover. You know, and one of the details I caught, man, was that he had a banda thorn bandana, you know, and, you know, Jesus Christ had a uh, thorn crown. Mm -hmm. And it, I just thought that was so hood and it was so, you know, yeah. it's so representative, you know. And um, another thing, man, is that, you know, I know Death Row wanted to start going east at that time, right, a little mm -hmm. bit. So then they had like, you know, you see New Orleans on the map, too. You see... Uh, you know, you see uh, the East Coast thing, uh, points on the map, too. And it's like I said, you just see the potential and the plan originally and how genius Tupac was. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just so happy to have Risky sit here and uh, talk with us about it. And I also noticed the, the uh, what does that say? It says, in, in no way, way is this portrait an expression of disrespect for Jesus Christ, dash Machiavelli. So during this period of time, Tupac kind of came into a new character after he... Uh, uh, released his uh, All Eyes on Me. He he had a group called The Outlaws that he was the leader. Um, you know, a bunch of dope rappers in there, but he changed his alias from Tupac to Machiavelli. It was kind of confusing. At the record store at the time, you go to the Tupac section and you find Tupac records. Then you have to go all the way to the M section <laughs> to find <laughs> Machiavelli, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, back in that day in 96, I mean, they had them close together, you feel me? Yeah, but yeah, now, yeah, yeah. you know, now in this era, <laughs> You know what I mean? They have them to where you have to go, you know, find them like that, you know? And, you know, one of the things, another alias, you know, rappers all have a bunch of aliases. It was Machiavelli the Donk Illuminati. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's talking about the Illuminati in 96, man. <laughs> you know, this is before the internet, YouTube videos. What and year was the, uh, was this album cover done? Uh, it was done in 96. Yeah, 96. I think it was released in 97 or so, early 97. Something yeah, no, like actually, that. it was released in 96. It was released in November of okay. 96. So okay, it yeah. was released, what, he died in sep on September the 13th, so mm -hmm. September, October, two months after he passed. So And right here on the back, I mean, like I said, guys, if, if you love your artist, man, take a look at all the detail they put into the album covers, man, because this is where they give the shout-outs to the, the important things and hide, hide some secret messages. And right here it says executive producer Simon. We're going to get into that in a second. Uh, digital editing, Justin Isham, painting by Ronald Risky Brent, who we're sitting here right here today, man. So, so like I said, it's an honor. And yeah, you don't get that on links. You know, all these things you listen to these days are not even a a disc or 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 a tape or a CD or a DVD. All it's just a link. You click on a link these days, and it has none of this. There's no artifact. No art. There's nothing to check out or anything. I mean, that's what the that's what the change. Period. Like in like back in the day, you know what I mean? Before we had the internet, music was worth way more than what it is today you feel me because you yeah. had people that had to actually go out and buy albums and you went and you bought an album you saw the artwork you saw the credits you saw all of that now it's like when you buy a digital album you don't get to do all of that you feel me you buy yeah. a digital album on itunes you get the cover that's it <laughs> You know what I mean? You don't. Yeah, yeah, that's just for your iPod. You know what I mean? You, you know what I mean? You don't get to see who created that album or who produced that album, who did that. You gotta literally go look it up online, or you gotta literally try to go out and go buy a physical copy. And sometimes with these record companies right now, 
They ain't even printing no physical copies of your shit. You know what I mean? You oh, know, yeah. They giving yeah. out they ain't even really giving out album deals. They giving out single deals. And if you blow, <laughs> then we could talk about you doing an album. You know, right? we'll give you a shot with a single and see where that goes. I mean, they're gonna charge you for uh, binary ones and zeros data. You know, what I mean, yeah, you're not even getting a yeah. physical. That's thing. why we have so many independent <laughs> artists that are blowing up now. You know what I mean? They keeping their shit to themselves. They putting their own records out. They selling their stuff on their own platforms. You know what I mean? And I credit that to social media. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, absolutely. Which I wish that you know we had a social media back in '96, but you know, I can't. I can't. Yeah, there's a give and take, right? It is going to actually help you stay relevant, you know, because, and I'm a little bit jealous because nowadays all you're going to have to do is just keep putting out content. Exactly. Keep building your followers and everything. Exactly. And that's going to help you stay relevant. Yeah, I mean, it is, but sometimes I hate my followers, though. You feel me? I love them, but I love them, but then I hate them at the same time. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I want. Before before I had the opportunity to draw Machiavelli or work with Death Row, it was me. You know what I mean? It was me. I created who I was that had Death Row willing to look at me and willing to have me work on album art. You know what I mean? And it's like now, it's like I get on my social media, I might post a picture with me doing something, I might get like 13,000 views, but then I might get 200 likes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So What's then going I'll turn on around. There, yeah. yeah, that's not that's not adding up to me. But then I'll go post something that I did a Pac, or I'll post something by Pac, and I get a thousand, eleven hundred, or whatever. Like, bro, what's up? Y'all don't like me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, what, I mean, what is it? Like, you you know what I'm saying? I gotta I gotta I gotta live off of him. It's like they won't let me. They won't let me be me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you can't. It's like. As much as I try to escape that history of doing artwork for Death Row and being the last artist that actually worked on the Tupac album with his say so, it's like I can't escape that. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? I feel it's you. like years it's trap, later, man. and I, I'm trying to do I'm trying to do other artwork, and it's like basically being a whole different person. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like oh, my Pac fans looking at this, but they like oh, I'm not risky. <laughs> We like it, but we want you to do Pac shit. We want you to be stagnated to that. It's like they don't want to let me grow. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'm not mad. You know what I mean? I love Pac and I appreciate Pac because if it wasn't for Pac means and people around the world wouldn't have never had the opportunity to see me, you know, as an artist coming from Compton, California. You know what I mean? So I'm very appreciative of that. But sometimes I just want a little space to just, you know, be me. Yeah, I mean, you know, even the last time we met, man, I was noticing just the confidence that that exudes out of you now, bro. I mean, um, and I, I want I want to get off the Pac subject, but I want to talk about this A and E special that you did for TV, bro. I mean, um, you know, they painted a mural of the uh, Pac downtown of Risky's work, you know, and they they hit him up for a couple documentaries, I think. Just go into that a little bit before we move on, because I want to talk about Nate Dog, and you know, I want to talk about different things too, man. I mean, it was crazy because at that time I was it was it was. I had went to New York. I was I was in New York for Christmas time, and um, I stayed from like the middle of December, and I was leaving on January the sixth. And I actually had gotten an email from uh, Marissa Grasso. Marissa, she used to do a lot of work over at A and E. I believe she was doing marketing or something like that. I can't really really remember what Marissa was doing at that time, but I got an email from her saying, "Hey, uh, we want to talk to you about a private, you know, a private." Um, a private a private situation that we were working on we can't really tell you 
nothing about it. You know what I mean? We got to get. <laughs> basically, I had to sign. I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement before they even let me know what they were interested in having me do. Oh, <laughs> and it was like, look, we want to talk to you. I ended up giving her a phone number. She ended up calling me, and she was calling me from A and E out in New York, and I was still in New York. So I was like, yo. You know, do you want to meet up with me? I'm leaving tomorrow. I'll be back in L.A. And she was like, oh, it's going to take a little bit of time. But, you know, we want to sit down and we want to talk to you about doing some artwork. And I'm like, well, how did you find out, find out about me? She was like, well, we were sitting in the office and we actually Googled the person that did all of the artwork for Death Row. And we were able to find you. So we want you. We were interested. We're interested in having you do some artwork. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's, that's another thing. Like, like I said, your connection with this talk. I mean. I mean, it's funny because I just had Nate's son, Nathaniel. You know what I mean? He just reached out to me. I just did a meeting with him maybe about a month ago about We're talking about stuff. Nate Dog by uh, Snoop Dogg's, you know. Yeah, Nate Dog. Yeah. So, I mean, Nathaniel reached out to me about, you know, doing some artwork for him. You know what I mean? Because he's doing some something with the uh, something on his own, a clothing line. And he said he wanted it to be authentic. So Joe Cool ended up telling Nathaniel about me. So Nathaniel ended up hitting me up, and me and him sat down. So right now we in we in you know we in the discussion about you know doing some stuff, you know. But he's kind of a busy youngster right now. He's you know training football camp and all of that. So when he get at me, you know what I mean. It's all in God's will. So the time will be right when it's right, I guess. Yeah. No, it's just awesome, man. That you know, again, I mean, it's not just Pac. It's just this whole death row era. But I, you know, that that kind of made you. Uh, the legendary status if I will man I mean and the real re the real thing I want to do is what other art are you inspired by we we've been talking about you know Gene, that little can right there man <laughs> you know I got a oh, question yeah, John Michelle can you yeah, gave me yeah, with yeah, the John yeah. Michelle shirt I happen to have on today exactly. like, <laughs> I wanted to just I mean, go into this because I know you're real inspired by it yeah you know what really made me inspired about John Michelle Basquiat is that I found my story a little bit similar to his and not not because of the drugs or anything like that because I mean I don't do no hard drugs I gave enough weed I stopped smoking weed four years ago but I just felt compelled to want to learn a little bit more about him because he had been homeless, you know, how he had been on the streets, you know what I mean? And I, I was I was inspired by that because I've, I've been through all of that, you know what I mean? So my boy Don Juan, he actually, you know, he had actually re-reminded me of who he was because, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I actually saw the Basquiat film, you know what I mean? And He's an inspiring guy, man. I mean, it was inspiring, but I think I was too young to understand what was going on at the time that I originally saw it. And it wasn't until my boy Don Juan, you know what I mean? He brought it up to me. He started telling me about the documentary, The Vibrant Child. Vibrant so, Child, check it out. No, actually, not The Vibrant Child. It was The Radiant Child. Radiant Child. So he had me look at that. And I started mm -hmm. looking at that. And that is kind of what inspired me to change my whole, my medium. The way I looked at art, my whole my whole get down that 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 made me change a lot about you know my perception of what it was and who I was. I mean, you know, one of the things that Basquiat is known for is the crown, man. You know, and uh, I was just talking about how you know when when you painted Pac on the cross right here, you know, you did a not a crown but like a, a thorn of bandanas, man. And I just wanted. Now, what does that crown represent to you, man? I mean, um, you know, it's used overly now, and if people, they don't even know Basquiat, and they put a crown you know right what? there. You, you know? know what? And I'm glad you touched on that because, <laughs> you know, you know, my son had that on him. He had tattooed the crown on him, and I said, "What does it mean?" Yeah. 
and he couldn't give me a representation of what it meant. He couldn't tell me. So I broke it down to him and I told it what it was, told him what it was. And I was like, yo, bro, like every tattoo that I got on me, it's a meaning behind it. I had yeah. an understanding of what I was doing before I tattooed on me. I knew the yeah. history of what it was that I was putting on me. He's getting like, face tattoos these days. Yeah, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't tattoo shit on your body that you not, you not aware of, or you don't have no history behind yeah. it, or it's not, it's not emotionally tied to you in some type of way. You feel me? You don't just go tattoo some shit on you because you think it looks cool. You heard about these chicks tattooing freckles on their face, man? This is I a mean, new trend, man, this bro. This is a new. This is a. This is a. This is a new weirdo world. Like I like to say, it's a weirdo world. You feel me? Because yeah. everybody is not like. You only have certain people that are artistically inclined to motivate somebody else. Other than that, everybody else is following behind somebody else that's artistically motivated. Yeah, you know that's I mean? true. So, almost everything's been done at this point, right? It's, I mean, no, a lot of no, everything new. ain't done. People ain't start wearing toilet bowl seats around their neck. Yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we can't. Hey, we can't really you heard say it here first. Done. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just that we don't. We have. We have more followers than leaders these days, and I really hate to say that. Like, I don't want none of these Amen people out that. here that's listening to be mad at me, but I'm just speaking actual factual facts to y'all, and I want y'all to really sit down and really think about it. You know what I mean? How many people really do you have Do you have around you that are really, like, really leading? You and know uplifting. what I mean? Yeah. yeah like, or telling you, yeah. giving you, like, the real of what's yeah. going on, like I what you hear did for real. Joe Cool. You know what, you know what I mean? mean? That, was, that was very big of you. You I know tell, what I mean? I tell a lot of people, like, bro, do you want me to lie to you or do you want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> which which are you more comfortable with? It's hard to find like someone lies, who's going to tell you the truth. You know what I mean? Because they don't want to hurt. No one wants to hurt anyone's feelings. I mean, know? sometimes sometimes the truth will hurt your feelings, bro. And it's it's about how you look at it, how you perceive it, how you sit on it, think on it, shit on it, move around with it, and you how you sleep on it that'll determine how you how you took that knowledge and you re reworked it. You feel me? Yes. I always say if the truth hurts, whose fault is it? I mean, <laughs> right? That's, that's basically what you're be, saying. Yeah, I mean, it got to be your fault. You know what I mean? If somebody telling you a truth that hurt, it's your fault. There you go. <laughs> Amen to that, man. You got to figure out what part of that that hurts. Right? Yeah. yeah. So real quick, we're we're talking about. Uh, about um the you know uh, the crown tattoo that it got. Let's go back to that real quick. So how do you break it down to him? I mean, I mean when you when you follow the Basquiat story, after Basquiat had did so many pieces of art, he had lost his way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when he lost his way, he created this crown. He created this whole different type of artwork where he was giving it up for black people, and the crown was a part of that. That he had initiated this crown drawing into it. So when he couldn't tell me that story. It was kind of disappointing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because a lot of these cats, like, I look on the ground sometimes. I love my son, don't get me wrong, but I just felt like I said, like, you don't tattoo stuff on you because it's cool. You tattoo stuff on you that means something, you know what yeah. I mean? That's yeah. a representation of something you stand for. Just like when I walked in the door and I told y'all, and I sent y'all 48 Laws of Power book, and I said, that's yeah. my shit. You know yeah. what I mean? That's my book. And I showed y'all that I know about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. By the law two tattooed on my arm. Never put too much trust in your friends. Learn how to use your enemies. That's law two and the 48 laws of power. So Very it's like, smart one. Right, Let's talk about tattoos for a second, man. Because um, since we're on the topic, uh, you know, Risky's got a bunch of tattoos, man. I mean, um, when, um, when did you get your first one? Do you remember when you got your first tattoo? I mean, man, I got my first tattoo in my neighborhood, homie, behind a neighborhood store. <laughs> How old were you? It was called Aikens. I was like 17 years old, and I got this 
Ron tattooed on my wrist. Now, the needle probably could have been infected or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But I end up getting this tattoo, like I said, in the hood, behind a hood store called Aikens. It says Ron. Right. You feel me? That was my very first tattoo. Okay. And then after that, I ended up tattooing some other shit on me that kind of faded away that I wasn't mad at. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got this one tattoo, man, that I love on your neck, bro. The legend one, man. Like I said, I... I'm I, living legend, bro. I, I had to do it. You know what I'm saying? It, because when I look at when I look at all of the factors of all the artists that are around, they're not doing shit legendary. You feel me? And a lot of artists that are doing shit or have done shit legendary, they're dead. That's yeah. right. They're not here. Yeah. I mean, the, so yeah. I've done legendary shit. And I'm still mm -hmm. here, so living that's legend, why bro. I put living legend. You know what I mean? I love it, dude. And I love and you know what? I think it's also part of a, a be the change you want to see. Yeah, I want to. Talk Someone asks about you about that, that you say you want to be a living legend. Everyone literally does want to be a living legend I mean, to some bro, degree. If you're not here, if you if you're not if you're not waking up every morning to inspire something or to create something that's gonna live far beyond you. What the hell are you doing here? You're just existing, yeah, man. Just I hear existing. that. <laughs> I'm existing that. with a purpose every day. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm here. I'm here to. Like I told you earlier, I'm I'm here to inspire the uninspired. And no, I'm not perfect, not by any means. I'm not trying to sit up in here like, yo. Thank goodness. I'm oh this, man. I'm this perfect dude, and I'm here to tell you shit that you've done wrong. Like I haven't done shit wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've yeah. done a lot of wrong shit, and I've learned from that wrong shit. So while I'm learning from that wrong shit. I'm trying to let people know that this shit is wrong. So you don't you don't have to learn the hard way. You feel me? I'm trying to give a little bit of your experience so people don't have to. Yeah, but that's the same thing like I told you when we were sitting in the restaurant. Like, I could go on my way to the bathroom and bump my fucking head on the wall. You feel me? And then I might come back and tell you. Hey, look, James, I just bumped my fucking head on the wall. You feel me on my way to the bathroom? Now, you might not believe me, so you might got to go try it yourself. There's so many people that won't Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So once you go try it yourself and you bump your fucking head and it fucking hurt, you might have put a knot on your head this time. I, I don't have a knot, but you might have a knot on your head this time. And then you might say to yourself, well, I didn't listen, bro. I, I had to go. I had to go experience this serious ass pain, and my pain was much worse than his. But he tried to tell me about it first. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? See, a lot of people they don't like to they don't like to take advice. And like another thing that I try to tell people like about advice is, bro, if you asking me to give you advice on a situation that I can't that I've never lived before, I'm not gonna give you no advice. I'm gonna tell you this is what I might do in this matter, but I can't give you advice on it because I never did that. Yeah. A lot of people will try um, to give you fucked up advice <laughs> on something that they never even experienced before. You feel me? Now, I yeah, know y'all might you. have been through that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, They'll try to give you some advice on some shit you never, yeah. they never experienced before. Then you'll go take that advice. You'll fuck it all up. And then they'll come back and say, well, I might not have did it just like that. But I would have I did it another type of way. No, I'm not going to give you no advice on nothing that I haven't, you know, haven't lived firsthand. I'm going to just tell you this is if you want to hear what I, what I might do in this matter, this is what I would do. But I'm not going to give you no advice on nothing that I've never done or personally been through in my life. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think one thing that I appreciate you about you, man, is that you're giving advice and you're giving back to people, especially in the black community, man. They're looking for older male role models to give them advice that's not, hey, you got to hustle some drug money to slang some stuff to, to make some ends, you know what I mean? And you know, you've been through, you've been around all those things. Man, 
I'd have been around it. And you know what I'd like to uh, bring up is what we were talking about earlier at at lunch was this dude's working on his credit and stuff. You know what I mean? Like this guy went from being a damn, you know, a street banging, you know. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't I don't really like the credit to say like, yo, I'm banging. I was banging. I wasn't doing none of that. Like, I'm not trying to, you know. Be out How here, you were like, around it. You grew yeah, up in I, it. I'm definitely around it. I definitely have homeboys that still gangbang. I definitely, I definitely, I definitely have ties to the street and have been around them, but that's not what I choose to do anymore. You know what I mean? So I'm not knocking none of my homeboys. I'm not knocking nobody out here that still want to bang. No, but what can they do? You know, like I mean, one of the things they can do is work on the credit, right? Yeah. It's exactly. a simple thing, though. Like if it's I was still thing, game, but if, I was, if I was still out here selling drugs, I would definitely be selling drugs, definitely working on my credit. Because a man, there you a go, man with no credit, bro, you ain't you you you're nothing. You know what I mean? It's, it's nothing. And like if you don't, if you have credit, you could be broke, but you still worth something. Exactly. You feel me? That's now, right. If you, if you don't have no credit and you broke, you're just broke. That's right. You know, absolutely what I mean? right. No, it's just life, bro. It's it's not like, you know, I had to go get a few more dollars in my pocket in order for me to grow up. I mean, it's just life and just different experiences that I've been through, you know what I mean, in the past, you know, year and a half, you know, the, from the last time we met. It's just a lot of stuff that I've been through that really made me grow and really made me see, you know what I mean, some of the mistakes that I was making in life, you know what I mean? So like now I said, I'm not perfect, not by far. And now we're talking about, you know, getting, buying a place, you know what I mean? Instead of yeah, renting man. a place. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? feel like I really wanted to leave California, you know what I mean? And I mean, that's something that I'm still thinking about to this day. If you don't have to be in California, you shouldn't be in California. I mean, well, you know what, as an artist, I mean, like, as an artist. I mean, look at it like, I mean, you, you want, you, you, once you come to California, after you walk down the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you seen the Hollywood sign? You see, no, see, that's the part that they not really going to see. You know what right. I mean? See, that's the part people really don't, they don't grasp the concept of that. When they come here, they don't realize we got the highest, one of the highest homeless rates. Oh my God. Some Skid of this Row, shit, bro. Skid Row is like one of the most, ter- bro, I couldn't even, I couldn't even park my car and walk down Skid Row. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't even do it. You know what, this is even a recent problem too, man. Okay, 10 years ago. I was uh, DJing in a radio in a warehouse, okay, right off Skid Row. I come, I, and you know, during the nighttime, you don't see shit. You know, you're just driving around, mm-hmm. you park your car, you see some sketchy people. So, you know, I, I had to leave this warehouse in like, you know, South Central, uh, Skid Row area, turn one wrong corner. Holy shit. You was like in a fucking, like, like a stampede of people. Like, what do they call it on The Walking Dead? A herd. Huh? Yeah, like, yeah, you walk into a herd of people, bro. like, yeah. negotiating, trying to get it's your just, way back to your car. Like, it's different. I, I flipped the fuck out. I said, holy shit. I mean, I'm just different, bro. Before. You know, I, I've seen, I've, I've been to different countries. You know, you see poverty, man, but you would just never expect to be in Los Angeles. No, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And that goes back to what I was saying. Like, once you've been down the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you've seen the Hollywood sign, you've been to Disneyland, 
<laughs> I mean, what else is there to do? Universal Studios. Yeah, done. I mean, Been yeah, there, done that. All of that stuff, what else is it to do? Because, I mean, when you look on, and you watching Love and Hip Hop, and you watching all of these Saw show at the Hollywood Bowl, done. Like, yeah, you seeing Drake moved out here, Jay-Z moved out here. You seeing all of these people moved out here, that's because they got the money to really enjoy this shit. <laughs> yeah. You know oh, what man. They the rest the of everybody's to, living yeah, way out in the Inland Empire. in the fucking hood. Like, in the Empire. Man, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We live in, we, we, we experience and steal this street shit while they up here in these fucking hills and it might even snow on them up there. I don't know, you know <laughs> what I mean? But I mean... It's, it's sunny when it's cloudy yeah, down here, right? Exactly. It is. So it's like, you know, if you're not living, if you're not out here and you're really trying to get that guap, really having paper or whatever, you know what I'm saying? LA is not really the spot. Like, I'm, I'm just looking like, you know, Atlanta. Atlanta, that's like the spot, you feel me? It's like... You could take the money that you would spend. Do you know how much it costs for a house in Compton? Do you? Could you have an idea of what it costs for a house in Compton? Okay, they had a house on sale across the street from my mom's house. Yeah. That joint was going for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And this is in the hood. This is in the hood, bro. <laughs> And what can you get in Atlanta for? You be living you get a like mansion, a, a bro. goddamn living in a damn mini mansion. You living like a freaking celeb in, with three hundred and some thousand in another state. You feel me? Man, and that's what's in. Like three hundred and fifty thousand to live in the hood in Compton, and the helicopter still flying over your house at night. And the sheriff still patrolling the block, bro. I'm telling you. I mean, that, that's Atlanta. Too. If you want to go to like. Fucking, I don't know, like Texas or Oklahoma bro, City, man. My, 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 three my, acres. My brother died. He moved to Texas. You feel yeah. me? He had him a house built from the ground up. You feel me? Nice. I'm I'm like telling him, bro. I'm mad at you every day. You call me on Facetime. <laughs> you show me your shit. You feel me? I'm like, bro. Like me and you, I gotta figure it out. Like, how can I do? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I need to do. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I'm I'm thinking of like getting on, bro. I'm thinking. When I was still with my girlfriend in New York, I was thinking about. I knew New York cost of living was high, but I felt oh, like yeah. You know, but the thing that I liked about New York was the network for me was much easier. You yeah, know what it's, I mean? Yeah. It's more connections. You have more people entwined to one. I have more people that want to work with me on the East Coast than I have on the West Coast where I come from. <laughs> oh, no. That's just a, that's, oh, no. No, here's the thing, okay? It's a, that's a natural phenomenon. People on the East Coast, we get shit done. We show up. I'm from Florida. We just, we show up and we get shit done. Oh, man, I'm not knocking you, bro. It's like, you know what I mean? I can't, you know, after I have been in New York now, I, I've been in New York. I've been in New York five or six times. I was going to New York at least every three or four months. When I come out here, I would go see my girl. I would stay out there for a month or whatever. I would chill with her. I would come back out here. I would do work, fill all of my, you know, all my commission work or whatever, do everything, have everything done. I fly back out there and I stay, you know what I mean? And I would be out there actually networking and meeting people. But I'm telling you, every time I came back home, I would be like, ugh, like, man, I can't stand it here no more. You know what I mean? And people would be like, I had one of my friends, one of my one of my cool one of my cool friends. You know, she like my family. She grew up with me. Her name is Tweety. She was just telling me the other day, New York is dirty. <laughs> she was like, I hate it out there. It's dirty. I said, No, that's where you wherever you go. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I said, I love New York. You know what I mean? I like when I go out there. I like the whole ambiance. I like the way people. You know, people will be like, they they move too fast. They getting shit done. They're getting shit done. You know they what get I'm a saying? lot of we things here, done. You know what I'm saying? I come out here and I feel like. When I first started going there, my chick would tell me, you too laxed. 
you move around too slow. People can tell. Yeah, people can tell. People can look at you and tell that you a tourist. And I would be like, I am a tourist. You feel me? She was like, but no, you need to. You need to pick up your. You need to pick up the pace. You know what I mean? So. They not playing out there, bro. Yeah. New York, they out there getting bread. You know what I'm saying? And they out there getting <laughs> bread. Like I don't, I don't knock nobody from New York. None of my, none of my homies or whatever. I call. I'm, I'm constantly calling back and checking up on my people in New York. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I got love for them, especially when I come out there. And like, shit, I was nervous when I started going to New York. You know what I mean? Because of the whole West Coast Biggie Tupac situation. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really want to be like, <laughs> I'm that dude that was doing this and I was yeah, doing that. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, I kind of had that under wraps for a while. When I first started going out there, I was real low key. I was doing more. I was doing more examining this situation and being a part of it. And people started, you know, I started talking to people. My girlfriend started telling people who I was. And people were like, oh shit, we love Pac too. We, hmm. we didn't like Biggie, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like. I mean, Pac was originally New York too. Right? Yeah, he was originally from New York. So I mean, when you look at the whole situation and you look at it like just like how we live out here in LA, and you would have people like, I hate the Lakers. I'm cheering for the Celtics. That's my team, man. Fuck the Lakers. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing all the way around. Like we're like artists. Oh, I didn't like Biggie. I liked it pop. But I'm from New York though. But I just didn't like Biggie. I liked it pop. And he was on the West. You know what I'm saying? It's like you get that whole, you get that whole ambiance from, from all type of people and all type of different things. So it was like once I started going out there and meeting people and stuff, it was like cool. You know, people was turning me on to more stuff. Like even when I did the um the whole situation where I did the shoot with um with BET for the BET Chronicles. It was yeah, crazy yeah. because yeah. somebody from New York told somebody in LA who I was. And when I caught a flight, when I was leaving New York and I landed in LA, the next day I'm in a meeting on Wilshire Boulevard and now I'm getting ready to be on the Death Row Chronicles. So I'm like, bro, I had to freaking go 3,000 miles to get a connect on something that wasn't even 13 miles from my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's crazy, but it's like, I got accomplishments. People, I got people out here that are part of the history that I come from that had the same connect that didn't even turn me on. But yet a complete stranger just turned me on and put me somewhere. And you know what I did? Man, you know what I did, bro? All my close homies, like my boy Red Rum, you know what I'm saying? My boy CL, I, 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 I called and I got them connected with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I started turning that on to I felt like a lot of people that were from death row that were underappreciated, that wasn't getting their time to shine because I look at it like this. At this point in life for how death row, the history is coming up and everybody is talking about, I don't give a damn if you was a goddamn janitor there. You got history. You feel me? And everybody, everybody got a story that they're entitled to be able to tell. You feel me? Absolutely. So I feel like if I knew you and I knew that you had a story, and especially if I knew I work with you every day and you was around me and we spent hard times, good times, bad times together at death row, I'm going to turn you on too. And I feel like it's only right. See, a lot of people have these connects and they hide them shits from you. You feel oh, me? Because man. they scared. They Damn. scared. They scared you gonna get a Cut little throat. bit higher than them. I remember before my boy Flipside died, he used to tell me all the time, "Hey man, these niggas out here got the cheeseburger mentality." You feel me? 
and I, I didn't understand what he meant by that until he broke it down to me. He said, yo, bro, you could have a cheeseburger. I could have a cheeseburger. You could have a cheeseburger. But the minute you get an extra piece of meat on your cheeseburger, we mad because we ain't got an extra piece on this piece of cheese, piece of meat on our cheeseburger. When we can go and get another piece of meat on our cheeseburger and probably stack our shit higher than, her, uh, higher than yours, but it's dedicated to the hustle that we got in order to add that piece of meat. See, a lot of people, mm-hmm. you'll get that piece of there meat. There you go. And then you'll sit around lazy as hell and you'll be waiting for somebody to say, hey, you want you want a piece of my meat? Yeah. yeah. Or do you want to get up off your ass, go to the store, get Earn you some it. ground beef, and roll out your own and fry and put it on your burger? You feel me? <laughs> Amen to that. So that's what that's where the whole cheeseburger mentality came from. To me, with him telling me that, it's like it's a lot of people. You know what I mean? They mad, but see, I, I'm the dude. As long as I got a cheeseburger, I'm happy. I don't care about how big <laughs> yours is. I got one too. You're so right with that. I wasn't born in Compton. I was I was born in Torrance, California, but I was raised I was raised in Compton. You know what I mean? My my grandma it was so crazy, bro, because my grandma stayed in LA. Okay. So I spent a lot of time with my grandma in LA, but right across the street was Compton. So I could literally be at my grandma's house and be standing in the middle of the street and be in Compton. At the same time, I could have one foot in LA, one foot in Compton. Yeah, you feel yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, that's one right there. So it wasn't until in '78 that my mom and my dad ended up buying a house in Compton, and they've been there ever since. Okay, okay, man. I mean, you know, we're just talking about death row here. I would do anything to get my hands on a chain, man. But how real are theirs, though? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. See, I, I got homies. I didn't get the opportunity to, to get mine because I felt like, you know, Suge told me one time, well, Risky, if you didn't speak up on it, and would you would award? Yeah, definitely. You feel me? I felt like that I deserved to have one because, I mean, my artwork was a representation of what Death Row was, you feel me? And then at the same time, when I was due to get one, Suge was in jail, so I knew that it wasn't getting ready to really happen like that. Yeah. But a lot of our homeboys, you know, were actually the guys, you know what I'm saying? Suge's homies that they call, they all had death row chains, you feel me? And some of them had those death row chains to this day, yeah. you feel me? So yeah, 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 yeah. those mm. are the original, real death row chains. I mean, Anything, people, people get their ass whooped for snatching one of these things. You know, I mean, day, yeah. Story. Talking about original, let's get back to, um, I had a question. Do you remember how old you were when you figured out that you were an artist? I mean, I was really young because my, you know, I was maybe about, I couldn't even really say if I was an artist. I was inspired to be an artist at maybe about six years old. My aunt, my aunt Karen Ann, she was an artist. So my my mom, she worked a lot of graveyard shifts. She would like, my mom was a single mom at the time when we were young. So my mom, she did a lot of graveyard shifts working for Sears Robux. And my uh, my aunt Karen, she would babysit us during the day. And my aunt Karen, she was an artist, so a lot of times I would sit on my aunt Karen's lap while she was drawing, and I would watch her, and that motivated me and actually inspired me to want to be an artist. Okay, wow, that's pretty cool. And then basically, you went to high school with a lot of death row cats or Suge, right? I mean, I I I knew. I didn't really know Suge Knight like that. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't even really remember him in the neighborhood like 
you know, that's just being actual factual. You feel me? Like a lot of the cats that I grew up with, like I grew up with a lot of OGs, like because at the time I was out selling drugs. So a lot of OGs would come through there. A couple of people would get robbed every now and then. You know what I mean? But I knew a lot of OGs and some of the younger cats that were on death row. I actually went to elementary school with them. We didn't go to the same high schools because I went to, uh, I went to Dominguez high school. Which was a crip school, and a lot of my homies that came from my neighborhood, they went to Centennial, which was like Blood Pyro schools. Yeah, yeah. Good career, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> there's two. There's my homie that went to Centennial. He's like, there's, there's only black Mexican people. The black people hang out on one side. Mm-hmm. Mexican people hang out on one side. So That's I just, I just stayed going to the school that I was because yeah. I wasn't really, yeah. I wasn't really like banging, banging like that. Banging. You feel yeah. me? Yeah. Like. Yeah. You know, when when did you start um, actually drawing? You said you were six years old when you were when you saw your on and you were Man, inspired. I started drawing like in like um, I remember like kindergarten. Like I started drawing. What I would do was I would trace a lot of pictures out of coloring books on notebook paper, and I would go to school and I would tell people like, "Oh, I drew this shit." You know what I mean? Like I drew this, and they would be like amazed, like, "Oh, you drew that?" Like, "Yeah, I drew this. I drew this." Bragging about it. And uh, one day, the teacher called my bluff. I had a, a classmate of mine that had won an essay contest, and um, she had written it about a cow. I wrote about this in my book, too. Okay. She had wrote the essay about a cow. So my teacher was like, oh, you know, now all we need is some artwork. So, you know, the first person she thought about was me because all these pictures I was going to school line saying I drew. <laughs> and so she was like, Ronald, you know, can you draw, can you draw a cow? So they gave me the uh, the paperwork, you know, well, not the paperwork. They gave me her 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 project, you know, it was written, you know, back in the day you had that giant piece of paper, you know what I mean? Had the, had the little lines you could write in it, and yeah. at the top it was that blank piece yeah, that yeah. you could draw in it, draw, right. you know. Right. And, yeah, man. She gave me that paper. I messed that girl paper up, man. I must have had a million eraser marks where I started something that looked like a cow that turned out into a looking like a the, the butt of a pistol. It just didn't. It just you still didn't remember it, right? Yeah, man. Because that was the, that was the defining moment of how I really became an artist. Because I got so embarrassed about what I had done that I had to. At this point in my life, I had to. You had to man up. Yeah. You were actually doing something that you gave a shit about. I mean, sense, I had to right? I had to just rectify it and I had to go sit down and I really had to become a real artist. You know what I mean? So that would never happen to me again. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You know what, man? Wow. I, I, get that, that is... I, I get that feeling, man, because like when someone calls your bluff on your art, you, you know what I mean? And you mm. feel like a phony. That's like cringing inside bro yeah, that was like i had a i had a battle with the paper and lost you feel me <laughs> so it was like it was like having my head down you know what i mean being ashamed to the point to where it made me really like go sit down and really like started homing what i what i knew how to do and i had to knock away all that tracing and i had to really start drawing and it there you it have it guys happened. i mean that's risky awesome, six year old man i mean man. that at that that point in time Still thinks about that moment, man. <laughs> no, I, I think about Dude, it. Dude, these are it, it time. at times in your life. There's especially with artists, you know. There's certain things that'll set the course of your life. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine um, is uh, his name's Jan, and uh, he was actually um, 
a, uh, a models agent in New York, big models agent. At the age of like four or five years old, he was in class and the teacher gave him these big pieces of paper and told him to draw something to fill the page. Yeah. And instead of drawing one big picture, he divided it up into four sections and drew four little pictures. The, pic the teacher came back by and said, that's wrong. <laughs> and so he thought he didn't know how to draw. And then come to find out, like, he, he got out of the modeling business, everything, wanted to try something else. And I just happened to be visiting him one time in New York. And um, I got him some, some sculpting uh, clay. I was working on something. I left him a piece, and, and he sculpted a torso out of it. And I was like, dude. I mean, it looked like someone, like a, an actual artist had done this. And I was like, how the? He goes, well, you know. And then he told me the story of when he was young, and he tried to draw. And... But, but then he started doing, he started drawing and, and actually got into it. So, you know, it, it's amazing how at a young age, something like that will, you know, set you one way or another. Everything has a, a, some, a some, yeah, for every action, there's reaction. And I mean, there's always an inspirational point in your life that will drive you to do something. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, I just want to talk a little bit about um, your mediums, man. I mean, I know your first... Your first love was like airbrush, man. Is that is that correct? Art medium. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before that, you were like when you were really young, you were drawing with like pencil and exactly, and that's what I was getting ready to say. I can't really say that airbrush was my first love because okay. then it was like before that, it was the design markers, the color and pencils, the paint markers, the uni paints, and all of that stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't until like I had got into um, high school in like the eleventh grade that I really had discovered the airbrush just by seeing, you know, another teacher of mine named Clifford Morris that he had opened up an airbrush shop in um, Compton. And I got to really, like, sit down and see that. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm mesmerized now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then to see, like, yo, he's airbrushing these T-shirts and people are really in line paying for this. Yeah, You know what I mean? And it's not like, you know what mm -hmm. I mean, he making $10 a shirt. Shit, he was making 150 40 150 like he was making a lot of money doing wow. that and i was like oh how can i be down yeah absolutely way of making money i can i know i can draw and i actually did a little bit of airbrushing myself in my hometown because there's a little tourist town and you know i was able to make a good amount of money in a short amount of time um airbrushing isn't as you know amazing as it used to be but um yeah i was that was uh, airbrush i used that for a while myself um and then you know just kind of drifted off but um the when i started doing graffiti and using the spray can you know that's because i used to airbrush that really helped me you know kind of excel with it with the spray can i mean i, I love it man uh, I'm, I'm just reading this little uh interview form you filled out and this is just kind of so fans get to know you a little bit more i mean uh Hey, I feel you, man. If you weren't a street artist or an artist, basically, you'd be a bus driver, man. <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about that, man. Cause that's I mean, it's yeah. crazy because, like, right after um, I end up leaving Death Row Records, it was like I was stuck, man. It was like nobody really wanted to give me a gig because at that time, everybody was like, oh, we can't hire Shug. People Shug going to be up here. Something's going to happen. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Oh, man. So I was yeah. like blackball in like the whole industry. I went from having a lot of friends at different labels, you know what I mean, to having no friends. Like I can't get a gig nowhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like I end up like forgetting that whole risky aura by myself the artist and i end up having to like i had to take care of my son you know what i mean because it was me and my son at that time and yeah. i had to get a, a gig like 
like a real job. Yeah. I mean, not a real job, but like a corporate, you know. Yeah, you know? so what I did was, man, I had, I don't know, I was looking in the paper and I seen this thing for like school bus driving, man. Yeah. And I ended up being a school bus driver for about a year. And I end up learning, you know, getting all the class B, you know, license with the air brake endorsement, hazmat, and all of that. I end up, you know, doing that for a while. And then from there, I don't know, man, I had got sick one time really bad. Like, because I would have to get up to, like, to do these school routes. You would literally have to be at the uh, at the, at the the bus yard at, like, 5 in the morning. 5 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, I was taking showers, and then I would be out there in that air. And one oh, time man. I noticed. You got a bunch of sick, sick kids getting on, on the damn, damn bus, bus yeah, too. Yeah, man, and I noticed one day I had, I, had, I had got into, like, a little accident. And I had went to the doctor, and, um. Uh, they had gave me an x-ray on my back and my doctor had came in the office and he was like, yo, have you been sick for a while? And I said, yeah, man, because I noticed it would be like a month or so, like I would be coughing, like my nose would always be running and it seemed like it would never heal up and I always thought it's because I'm always leaving early in the morning and I'm in this air. So he ended up saying, he said, I, I see you have a spot on your lung and you have walking pneumonia. Oh, yeah. Probably from the pollution of the buses, man. Oh. He told me I had walking pneumonia, and um, I end up having to take those. They give you like those um, penicillin pills. Yeah, antibiotics. Yeah, they gave me like some penicillin pills, and I'm thinking like, damn, bro. Like I'm walking around with pneumonia all this time, and I didn't even know this. You know what I mean? And I'm like, tough guy, man. Yeah, and then I'm like, right at there. the same time, I gotta go to a county hospital. I don't got no insurance or nothing. So, oh what? <laughs> yeah, I end up quitting my job, and I end up filling out filling out an application for MTA for the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. I was driving buses in LA. I end up getting a job for there because I was like, look, bro, if I'm gonna do this. I got to do this on a higher scale. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I got to be able to go to the doctor. I got to be able to have money set aside for me retiring and all of that. So I left that behind and I ended up going and getting a job over there. Okay. That's so, smart. Man, that's, I, I, to be honest, I, I had no idea, man. And that just goes to show you guys, do what it fucking takes to raise your kids, man. Exactly. <laughs> all the respect <laughs> in the world, exactly. man. And you know, that's, and you know, got big crazy, respect for me for the that. The crazy man. part about it is, is one of the reasons why I end up Letting that job go is because I would go to work on some days and like nobody really knew nothing about me. Have you ever you seen the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? Of course, man. The Fresh <laughs> Prince, you know how he went to that private school yeah. and he didn't dress like everybody Bel-Air, else. Uh, yeah. He would People turn his jacket inside out. out. You know what I mean? He would wear his stuff to where it made him different from He's everybody fresh, else. Man. Now, I was going to work. I would I would literally like wear my uniform pants over my shoe, like above my shoe. I would have the the patent leather boots. You know, I would have like braids or afro. I would have my sweater on and I would have everything different. And like a lot of the ladies were like looking at me and you know, I started getting like really popular around the yard. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was just more different from the average bus driver that everybody was seeing. Everybody was doing everything by the code, but I had a flip. Mine was on code, but it was flipped. It was different. You feel me? And I and people would start asking me about my story, like what, where, like how did you get here? And I would start telling people, like, oh, you know, because I I never really. Even when I meet people, I don't never tell people like, "Oh yeah, this is I did this for Death Row. I did this. I did that." That's not my that's not my pitch line to you. You feel me? I don't I don't 
I don't go off of that. Well, you want to grow out of it. Grow up. Yeah, so, I mean, if you meet me, if you meet me and you know, that's fine. But if I just meet you, that's not going to be what I'll tell you. If anything about it, you might find out about it from somebody else that might say, yo, I met this person. And they might say, oh, you know, and then they'll come back and be like, you did this. Why you didn't tell me? That's not my get down. Right. Or, or if they're an artist and they, they want to talk about it and say, what have you done? done? Yeah, I right. mean, exactly. Right. And even in in some of those cases, I got to be weird, but we're going to go back to this part first before I even touch bases on that. But I was like telling people at the job, you know, what I was doing. And they were like, what? <laughs> you did what? <laughs> and I would be like, yeah, I did. You know, I did artwork at Death Row. And it was one day I ended up taking my portfolio because the the manager on that site she wanted to see some of my artwork. So I ended up taking, you know, my portfolio and they were looking at my portfolio and the um the uh supervisor of the whole of the whole um department at that time because I was working at um I was working at um what do they call it? I forgot how they used to call them, but I was working at number two in downtown LA. Okay. Like the Yeah, I forgot how you know the bus I forgot how they used to be like uh Station two, unit two, or something. How they used to try to label it, but I was working there, and I had went in and I had showed the the you know the manager or whatever because she wanted to see some of my artwork, and she looked at my artwork and she was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly, man. I mean- so when she did that, like that struck a, a stuck a, a fuse in my head. Like, damn, bro, it's like other people really see stuff in me. That I really don't see for myself, you know what I mean, and man, it just made me. That happens a lot with our unfortunately. Yeah. You know what, man? We an hour just passed right here, man. And obviously, we're gonna have what? Yeah, yeah, over an hour, man. And we're gonna have Risky on again. But just on Ooh. that note, man, I want to kind of just leave. You guys. This, this was, was so, so much different than having uh, Joe, Joe Cool, cool on here. here. I mean, it was it was it was like the the amount of cuss words that flew. And within like the first, oh, I don't know, uh, 15, 30 seconds. <laughs> we love Joe Cool, but like I said, it's, it's good to get another side of the perspective, man. And um, just to add on what Risky was just saying, um, he, on our interview, she, he wrote, I'm going to have you read this, man, because uh, it's a quote by Oscar Wilde, and this surprised me, man. And it kind of touches base on uh, uh, what you were talking about just now. So if you don't mind, Risky, can you read that quote for me that, that you uh, wrote for us? The quote, the one, the yeah, one that it says, my favorite quote is, um, "No great artist ever sees things as they really are. If he did, he would cease to be an artist." By Oscar Wilde. Yeah, and you know what? That was exactly yeah. what you were just talking about, man. You know, you you didn't see any of this, and other people were seeing all these things in you, man. That you know, hey, what's this guy doing here, man? You know, so I just want to tell you guys, I have so much respect for Rissy because he handles his shit, man. You know, and to be a great artist, man, you gotta constantly evolve. You mm-hmm. gotta constantly keep your shit. Yeah, I keep working. working. You, I mean, <laughs> people would die to say, "Hey, I painted the Machiavelli cover," and here we have Risky saying, "Hey, man, I, I yeah, that's in my past, but exactly. I don't want to be only known for it. I want to do some more shit." Absolutely. You know what I mean? So I, I just respect that a lot, man. And Risky, I want to just thank you. For, uh, get it, get this book. Get 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 get, get, uh, get Risky's book. Yeah. You gotta get. This oh book. yeah. Website man. Um, oh yeah. My my website. You wanna check me out on my website? My website is um, riskyforever.com. 
And I spell my name Risky, R-I-S-K-I-E. The Y is common, so don't do it. I'm not a common person. So <laughs> my name, my, my website is www.risky, R-I-S-K-I-E, forever, F-O-R-E-V-E-R.com. Yeah, and on Instagram, the same thing, right? Yeah, definitely the same thing on Instagram. You can at Risky Forever on Twitter, at Risky Forever. You want to email me? At risky forever at gmail.com at yahoo.com Facebook. Well, no, not yeah. I mean, you can find me on Facebook too, but that's more like my artist page, it's not my personal page. But you could definitely look up risky forever on Facebook and find me on there. And you know, uh, we'll plug it on LHR Gallery at LHR Gallery, LHR Doc Gallery is the website, uh, teacherone.com. Um, thank you very much, guys. And you know what? This has been a pleasure and inspiring. Thank you, thank you, thank man. You so I, I really appreciate y'all for having me and sharing my story. You know what I mean? Your story is going to help others, man. Your story is definitely going to help others. Take care, guys. Um, uh, Hear from you soon, and love you. Take care. Bye. And in